NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. All right, this is the Mojo Sports Network. It is AFL Round 20. Can you believe it? I am joined, as always, by Yuri Bilicic. Yuri, how are you today? Great, Julian, and great to have a chat with you as always. And again, we say week in, week out, but it's getting to the nitty-gritty end, so can't wait to unpack all nine games with you. Absolutely. For those of you who are unfamiliar with us, if you are new here, this is the podcast where we talk about the AFL round preview. Round 20, we're going to dissect the teams and talk about our notes for the games, our predictions, and any fantasy and betting tips as well. Starting with a cracker of a match. Gee whiz, this is going to be a fantastic one. And Yuri is a culture man himself. It's Collinwood versus Carlton at the MCG, 7.50pm. What a blockbuster for a Friday night special. I'm just going to go through the teams and then you, you can uh, comment on how this game plays out. Sadly, the Blues lose Sam Walsh um, after that hamstring injury last week against the West, West Coast Eagles. Out goes Ed Kerno omitted. I, I said last week he just gets omitted each and every week. He's in and out of the side. Jack Silvana, who's been in fantastic form, is injured. Josh Honey is omitted, along with Lachlan Cowan omitted. Lewis Young is out. And Paddy Dow, another one like Kerno, just in and out of that side, omitted. But it's all, it's not all bad news because for the Blues, they have Adam Chera and Patrick Cripps coming back after a week, we want to say, managed. <laughs> uh, Jack Martin back in along with Pitternet, Always, and Marchbank. So pretty good lineup for Carlton still. Sadly, Sam Walsh missing. And then for Collinwood, Bobby Hill, who's been electric for them up front, is out with an illness. Milestone Games is George Hewitt playing his 150th and pretty fitting given that he'll have a pivotal role to play without Sam Walsh and Matthew Kennedy in the side. Yuri, talk to me. Carlton on a, what is it, five-game winning streak? Yes, it is. Five games for the first time mm. since 2000, Julian. Yeah, so you talked about in terms of the amount of hype there is heading into to tomorrow night's game. And this has sort of been well laid out during the week about when was the last time there's been this amount of intrigue for a Magpies Blues game? Well, mm. I'm going to have to say this. It goes back to 2012. That is 11 years ago, right? So rounds three. And 15. So round three, when Carlton beat Collingwood by 10 goals and were premiership favourites overnight, I think it was about $4.50 or something that they had the the bookmakers had Carlton at at the end of that game. And then, of course, round 15, when the blue season was completely in free fall and Collingwood, I think, won a 10 game winning streak at that point. And Carlton somehow against all the odds at $4.75 heading into that game. I think Collingwood were about $1.19 and the Blues prevailed by 23 points. And that included, of course, Brett Ratton swinging the changes, really, the magnets. And he put Nick Dargan 40, kicked three goals, and Kate Simpson, unfortunately. I was at that game 11 years ago, Julian, and he got concussed by Shad Wellingham, which still to this day, I don't know how he only got three weeks for that hit, but that's back then. So <laughs> 11 years later, we're still, yes. we're still filthy. <laughs> yeah, some things you can't just hold a grudge for too much longer, but I think that one probably still stays a bit. But I think with tomorrow night's going too, Julian, and the round 10 encounter really gave us a layer of just the vast differences between the way the sides were playing. And it was so evident the way we've spoken about for the last two weeks on Carlton's complete reversal and its ball movement. Back then, it was super stagnant. It was all sideways. And they wouldn't take the corridor option when it did present itself. But now... That's completely changed. The other part as well to it is the relentless tackling pressure. So last five weeks, they've been averaging 71.4 tackles per game. Even in that 71-point win over West Coast last Saturday, they had plus 18 more tackles than the Eagles. So I think it says something, right, that the enthusiasm and the hunger and the vigor to continuously apply pressure, even if you're 9, 10 goals up, that's still there. And that's going to have to be there 
in absolute spades tomorrow night against the Magpies because that's where Collingwood absolutely pounced upon the Blues in that round 10 meeting through basically perceived pressure. That was the whole issue. And then they completely slung, slingshotted them on the on the rebound. And, of course, that's where Bobby Hill's absence is going to be felt in the way too because he impacted, I think, right from the first minute of that game, kicked the opening goal and then had that brilliant run across the wing, which I'm pretty sure Nick Newman was just left for gasping for breath. There was that particular play during the second quarter, and I'm pretty sure that did lead to a Brody Marchek goal. So that's one thing that Carlton will at least be relieved. They won't have to deal with tomorrow evening. But the other part as well too is I think we saw the clash with Port Adelaide Collingwood, and Port Adelaide did a really good job. And again, on footy classified, they – put out these few little highlight packages on what needs to be done to stop Collingwood. And it's to basically stop them attacking the corridor and force them to kick down the line. So I think that's an area where Carlton's done exceptionally well in the last five weeks, has denied teams that corridor, or if not at first, that first kick from the back half. But then they'll push every single player to one side and squeeze up the middle part of the ground and force them to kick down the line. So I think that's a few strategical areas where Carlton's really devised its game plan for the better, and that's what served them extremely well. And as for Collingwood too, well, again, another close encounter they had against Port Adelaide, and yet again, for what, the 15th or so time, they've been able to prevail by less than a kick. So again, they found a way in arguably one of the most hostile environments in the AFL that you can play at at the Adelaide Oval, especially in front of the power fans who are super diehard, super passionate, and just absolutely barracked their team for the full 120 minutes. So they did an outstanding job there, Collingwood. But yet again, the inclusions, of course, with Cripps and Chera, that's monumental. That's to say the least as well after what Cripps' performance last year and that three vote and 35 disposals and what, I think he kicked a goal or something. I had like 25 or I think it was 27 contested possessions that afternoon. It was mm. one absolutely gigantic performances, seriously. And George Hewitt as well last week as well did an outstanding tagging role on Tim Kelly, kicked a goal. He, I think for the first time probably since maybe the first couple of seasons when he was at Sydney when he wasn't getting that midfield permanent role at that stage, he was playing as that deep forward in the way. And we saw that only for, I think it was a couple of minutes in the last quarter. So again, could be something that the Blues may throw up at different stages to try and hold Nick Dacos accountable because that's where I think most Carlton supporters heading tomorrow night's game are looking at in terms of putting Hewitt on Dacos because what we saw last week in that opening half with Willem Drew and him impacting not just the contest as well but negating Dacos's influence on the game as well, especially that opening half when he only had 11 touches. So there's just a few little magnets I think that may come into effect tomorrow night, but that's something that's going to be highly immersing just to find out in the first, in the opening bounce to say the least on what Carlton does to combat it. Because again, I think all the other clubs have tried tagging Dacos and it hasn't worked and they've sort of gone away from just allowing to roam around and gain the 30 touches and have more than 800 metres gain. But I think for the consciousness that I think Carlton want to apply to, I think that's going to really be on show tomorrow and that they're not going to allow for Nick to just get those easy uncontested possessions and just set up and orchestrate all those Collingwood counterattacks too. And the other one as well, Julian too, is Darcy Moore's mm. intercept marking 10 last time and he saw, I think... Carlton up, he tore Carlton apart last time they played yeah. memory. Yeah, 25 and, disposals. 
12 marks, I think. Yeah, it was. And also, I think, still side bottom laughing after press. I'm sure if Vossi didn't show them that piece of video footage during the week, I don't know what's going to further incentivize them anymore. So mm. I think it's going to be super close. I've got the Magpies by a couple of kicks, but seriously, it, again, almost sound straightforward and cliche about it. But if they bring that full tackling pressure once more and reach those KPI indicators between – I've got to say it's between 70 to 80 tackles. They're going to have to lay tomorrow night to give themselves every shot. And they do that and use that free-flowing advanced football that has completely changed their fortunes. Then they're going to be right into it. Let's hope it's a cracker of a game as it deserves to be. Moving over to Mars Stadium on Saturday, 1.45pm. We have Western Bulldogs versus the GWS Giants. And, geez, the Giants are flying at the moment. I believe they've won their last six games, including wins to Melbourne and Adelaide. So they cannot be ridden off. The Orange Tsunami is in full effect. And I'm just talking about um, on the AFL Bites podcast that GWS backline is just so solid at the moment. They've got Sam Taylor, Isaac Cummins, Jack Buckley, Himmelberg, Lockie Ash, Lockie Whitfield down there as well. It's just a phenomenal backline. And they are looking so great. And over to the Bulldogs, who are, you know, in pretty good form as well. Um, just going through the teams before we dissect this game. Jason Johannesson and Rory Lobb are back in for the Dogs. Buku Kamis and Oscar Baker, along with Riley West, are out of the side. Lachlan Keefe comes in for the Giants. And out goes Nick Haynes and Josh Faye. I believe the Bulldogs are favourites for this game. But, geez, you cannot write off the Giants. I think the only reason that the Bulldogs might be favourite is because it's at Mars Stadium. But... The form and the footy that the Giants are playing at the moment is super excited, and I cannot wait to see how this plays out. And one more little note, actually, before we dive into this game, is Jack McRae is looking to be, I think, hold the record for the most disposals, 20 disposal games in a row, overpassing Josh Kennedy from Sydney if he gets it. So for those of you who like betting, Josh, Jack McRae is paying $1.20, not that much, to get 20 disposals. But for someone who's going for an all-time record, I believe that he's going to he's going to achieve that unless he gets injured. So I would add that to all your multis. And then milestone games, Bailey Smith is playing his 100th game. So, Yuri, how does this one play out? Yeah, I think, Julian, that the blustery conditions that uh, is usually on offer down in Ballarat may make it a tricky proposition for the Giants because the Bulldogs have already had, what, five or six encounters down there for the last, I think, two or three years or so. They've been playing at Mars Stadium. So that's probably going to suit to their advantage. Getting Jason Johannesson back for his first game since round 10 after that, Hamstring injury, that's a absolutely must in a way too, but also a bonus just because of his dashing flair of half-back. I think that, again, is sets up so much the Bulldogs play that they want to orchestrate through him. And I think they probably maybe at times missed him a bit, but they were at least able to cover it with Latham Vandermeer doing a solid enough job in his absence to really fill the void. And Roy Lobb as well after what, a couple of weeks in the VFL. So I think the other part as well, because the teams met early in round eight this year, Julian, and I think the rainy conditions did come into effect late in the game as well. The Giants made that one final surge. I think they tried by about 34 points at one stage and got within 15 before the Bulldogs held on. And again, it all starts with Marcus Bontempelli, Tom Liberatore, Bailey Smith. Those three last time just completely carved up the Giants and Bontempelli had about what 32 touches 25 of them contested 14 clearances and Libba had about 29 touches and eight clearances Smith had basically the same identical numbers with 32 touches and eight clearances I think for the Giants though that is may well be where the dogs get them in the stoppages because as the game progressed last Friday Friday night against Essendon 
that eventual differential gap in the clearances just kept widening and widening to the point where by the end of it, I think the Bulldogs won it by about plus 20. And the Giants only rank, I think, 14th overall in clearances. So they need to just, it sounds so simple once more, but to get first hands on the ball and to keep that territorial inside 50 advantage in their favor to give themselves every chance of winning a game. Because again, Julian, as you very well know, the Bulldogs defense can get a bit suspect. They can get a little bit iffy, and especially if the ball's in the hands of either Alex Keith or Ryan Gardner. I think Melbourne fans well know about this back in 2018 with Oscar McDonald and Sam Frost. Every time they had the ball, just dispose of it. Seriously, just dispose of the football. Just get it out there. Get it to Bontempelli. Get it to Liberal Torre. Get it to Smith. One of your better kicks. Get it to Jack McRae. Just don't hold on to it. So if the Giants just maintain that pressure, because they're forward half pressure this season has been such a drastically different story to to what was for the last couple of seasons before that. That's where they can get them to. Toby Green, he he basically carved up Ben Long last Sunday. He didn't really show early on with his scoreboard impact because he missed about two or three absolutely gettable around the corner kicks. But after that, the Suns had no match for him. So I think that's where if Green gets on top and depending on who goes to him as well from the Bulldogs and again, that that's probably, well, not really a question mark at this stage, but I'll be curious to find out to see what the Bulldogs do in that particular area and whether perhaps they do throw Joe Anderson onto him or maybe if they do throw a Bailey Dowell onto him. Well, one of those matchups at least to keep him honest and not allow him to have his usual impact, not just up forward, but also times three to midfield. So again, the Giants back last well, just the whole intercept side as well as Sam Taylor. So I think he's... It's going to be a lot more of a trickier proposition for either if it's one of Aaron Norton or Jamara Hugo Hagen to go up against Sam Taylor because Jack Buckley is also, since he's come back from that torn ACL a couple of years ago, has just been, yeah, tremendous as well, giving Taylor that extra additional support as well as that intercept marker. So they've got most bases covered, the Giants as well. I think Jesse Hogan's not on the team, I think, for the second straight week as well. So that may hurt a little bit, but they've got other avenues to really make the scoreboard impact felt. And again, what they've been doing the last six weeks to catapult themselves into seventh spot on the ladder, it may surprise some, but I think when you look at their overall list, it is identical to the one that was similar to, what, a couple of years ago, right? It's just a whole adjustment structure change and getting back to what they're doing best before, right? Absolutely. We're going to move over to Geelong versus Fremantle. And... I believe Fremantle um, edged Geelong out up the stadium earlier in the year. And and funny, a strange game. Geelong only had 276 team disposals that game. And no player for Geelong got over 20 disposals, which is just super, super ridiculous. I think that's the only time this match, uh, this season that that's happened. We'll go through the teams. Geelong are obviously in a much better position now. But Gary Rowan comes back into the side. O'Connor and Mullen are out. For Fremantle, they get back James H. Out goes Stanley and Johnson. Yuri, Geelong at home, super strong. Fremantle not playing too well the last few weeks. Is this an easy one for the Geelong Cats? Well, it should be, Julian, right, at home at GMHBA Stadium. And Fremantle's whole season downslide, I think it's probably been sort of papered over the cracks because of what's been happening at West Coast too. And I definitely didn't think this year is one that Fremantle envisioned after, of course, 
making the finals last year for the first time since 2015, winning a final also for the first time since 2015. And I think the season predictions, I had Fremau finishing, I think it was, I didn't finishing sixth on the ladder. And of course, that's not going to happen now. And there's just been too many factors that I've seen Fremau down slide this season, including just the mundane slow ball move as well, which has probably come back in the last couple of weeks, which hasn't really served them well whatsoever because they tried altering that game plan from what round seven and it worked well for a month and a bit and unfortunately they've just basically not reverted back to the old habits but it's probably just crept back into the point where they haven't been able to eradicate that slide so again Geelong have won the last six of nine against Fremont GMHBA Stadium so it's not all loss for Fremont, but when you have Nat Fife ruled out for the rest of the season, you have Sean Darcy ruled out for the rest of the season with ankle surgery, it does make the task a lot more harder too. And again, so much depends on Caleb Sarong and Andy Brayshaw to do all the heavy lifting through the middle, which they have been this season, and you can't fault them whatsoever. But with Geelong at this stage and to Patrick Dangefield and Mitch Duncan as well, and you can throw Max Holmes in there and just the number of others that they can rotate through to midfield as well. I think, again, it is going to be just that one step a little bit too much, I think, for Fremont. But, again, they can almost take inspiration from those recent encounters, right? When they oh-so-close pipped Geelong, one, 2014, 2017, and I think it was another, 2015, when they won that game, when Fife, I think, got the three Brownlow votes that afternoon in round two. So, again... Inspiration isn't that far, isn't too far to look behind as well for Fremont to really gain something and perhaps cause an upset as well. But again, so smaller dimensions we spoke about two weeks ago when Essendon went up to play Geelong and we talked about how important Nick Martin may be as well. And unfortunately, he wasn't a factor that night as well. And I think he had one really bad disposal as well coming out of his back 50, which is so unlike him. So again, Fremont's defence at times as well with their with Brendan Cox and with Alex Pierce, they tend to be a little bit susceptible when they do kick out their back half. And I think that's where Geelong, of course, really pounce upon opposition size mistakes at GMHBA Stadium with those dimensions of the field. So again, the other part as well for Fremont is just allowing for their smalls just to somehow impact the game because it's gone missing for the last five weeks, Julian. And that's where they really hurt them back in round 10 where they basically combined for 10 of the 16 majors that afternoon. I think, what, Jay Amos kicked four goals, I'm pretty sure. And they really hurt them on the counter-attack and really caught Geelong's backline defenders napping by getting out, getting out the back door, essentially, and getting through for easy running goals. So that's the other part where I think as long as they've sort of looked at that film during the week as well and tried to at least take something from that and translate it into Saturday's game, then they'll be in it. But at the same time, it's Geelong in Geelong. And that's where I think most teams just, unfortunately, where they get five to six goals down early on and then just the whole penny drops, unfortunately. And I just, at this stage, can't see Fremont getting the four points, I think, just with the amount of incentive after last week and the way they played against Brisbane, which was so unusual Geelong football, Julian, I just don't see that happening. I'm with you on that one. Moving over to another game where two of these teams met in round 10. It's Gold Coast Suns versus Brisbane Lions, 4.35pm, Heritage Bank Stadium. 
for the Gold Coast Suns. Malcolm Roses and Sean Lemons come back into the side. Out goes Ben Long, Jai Farah, and Huwago EA, I believe it's pronounced. Yeah. It... And uh, for the Lions, Ashcroft is out. And, of course, that was a very sad injury in ACL confirmed. Um, he'll be out for an extended period of time, which we are very upset about, but he will be back. Pretty surprised to see that there's no ins for the Lions. That's because Loman, who was the sub, retains his spot in the side. But I was pretty surprised that Jared Lyons doesn't come back as the rotating midfielder. But that is fine. Brisbane won 107-64 against the Gold Coast Suns earlier in the year. Speaking of Ashcroft, he was a poor magnet that day with 30 touches. But Neil had 35, McCluggage 30, Dunkley 29. It was just a field day for the Brisbane Lions. Gold Coast Suns at home is probably the only thing you could say that gives them a chance at this. Yuri, how do you think this one plays out? Yeah, so I've just sort of touched on a little bit as well. After probably the first half where the Suns did keep keep arm's length with the Giants as well. But again, so many of those, I think, pressure acts fell away once the Giants got on top around the stoppages. And again, that's where you need to keep Brisbane accountable is by laying the pressure. Because I think if there's one thing about Brisbane as well, which probably does... So stand out a little bit where you can catch them as a weakness is their speed through midfield, I think is where you can get them. So they've got to try and somehow utilize that to every account, I think, Julian for Gold Coast and throwing Bailey Humphrey in there who had a great game in the side's previous Q Clash meeting. I think he had 26 touches in that goal. So getting him in there once more, I think it's going to just add that little bit more extra zest through the midfield as well and that extra hardened body, even though he's only, what, 19 years old, but he's already built as though he's already played five, six seasons at the top level. So, again, the other one too is Ben King, and I think some other footy outlets have spoken about his, I think, dip for the last three weeks, right? It's the first time in his career, I was looking through on the A4 tables, the first time in his career that he's had three consecutive games of, I think it was four, pretty sure it was four consecutive games or three that he hasn't kicked a goal. So that's a bit of a worrying issue, I think, as well. And he doesn't get much easier this Saturday as well because Jack Payne most likely to go into him because, of course, they'll free up Harris Andrews to play the interceptors role as he did so well against Geelong last Saturday. So the other, I think, part as well to it is that Gold Coast haven't beaten Brisbane in their last nine encounters. So... Round 5, 2018 is the last time the Suns beat Brisbane. So it does go a long way back, and the average winning margin is 47 points. So I think it tells you a lot about the two teams' fortunes, where Brisbane being at the top for whatever it's been the last five seasons, and Gold Coast have been middle tier to probably bottom tier at various stages. So, again, it's almost those – I think we talked about it last week too, Julian – about lapses in concentration for the Suns where they just tend to zone off for five to ten minutes and that's where teams pounce upon them. So against Brisbane, you can't afford to do that whatsoever because they'll face the same result as they did back in round 10 where they'll ride up for the contest at three-quarter time. They had what an 11-point lead or something and then ultimately got overrun by 43 points. So again, that's just the whole onus on the players just to not relent to when the game is not on your terms. And I think for too many times during this season as well, Gold Coast have probably allowed that far too frequently to happen as well. And especially when you're still mathematically a finals chance as well, you've got to just take it right up. And I guess you never know what the result may pan out because it's 
You could say in a way it's a line in the sand moment as well, just for what's happened these last five seasons between the teams. So once more, they've just got to just go in there hammering tongs and play like there's no tomorrow, right? Because that's what they did, what, two weeks ago in, in Stephen King's first game against the Saints when they just laid tackle after tackle as though for the first time since, what, 2014 where we sort of at least exert that amount of pressure on the opposition side. So, again, they do that, then the contest will be right up for grabs. But if they just allow Brisbane to free reign and dictate and allow for Joe Danaher and allow for Eric Hooper, who's been in sublime form for the past month, and Charlie Cameron, ground level, and Lincoln McCarthy, it's going to be a long afternoon, I think, for the Suns. Just speaking of the Suns, a great analysis, by the way. I just wanted to note from a fantasy point of view, Sam Flanders has been fantastic moving into that Suns midfield. Um, the last few games, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, no, five games, he's had 27 touches, 27, 24, 33, and 31 disposals. And yeah, last week against the uh, Giants, I watched that game and he was just everywhere, presenting for marks. Um, uh, I, I just think that he's, he, I think it was in his junior days he was a midfielder, like pure midfielder. And uh, he was on the half board flank for Gold Coast a lot of his career. But moving into that midfield a lot more, geez, he's starting to rack up the ball. And I'm just keen to see how he goes in that position moving forward. All right. Moving over to a showdown game. We love a good showdown. Adelaide Crows versus Port Adelaide, 7.40 p.m. at Adelaide Oval. Surely this is a sellout game for Port Adelaide. V. Centini comes back in with Darcy Byrne-Jones. Out goes Lysette and both both manage. And Willie Riola with that suspension, as we probably all know what for. Connor Rosie playing his 100th game, by the way. And for the Adelaide Crows, in comes Mark Keane, Michelini and Laird. And out for the Crows goes Braden Cook and Haightley. And then obviously injuries to Rankin and Nick Murray, which I believe is an ACL um, for Murray and Rankin hamstring injury. So Port Adelaide, they almost had that game against the Pies. And, b- and by the way, last week on the podcast, we talked about that potentially being match of the year. And boy, probably delivered <laughs> to those heights. And Adelaide Crows almost snatched a 24-point deficit against the Demons last week. And we know they're super strong at Adelaide Oval. Oh, this is a great game for the fans. Similar to Carlton versus Magpies this week, this is going to be another blockbuster game. Yuri, I'm very keen to hear your thoughts on this one. Oh, it's going to be, right, Julian. Showdown 54. And for Adelaide, again, so much is on the line after what's happened probably in the past month as well, where you think games against the Giants, they would have won at home, but again, dropped. And last week, they almost snatched it from Melbourne and dropped. And now they find themselves basically having to win their final five games, essentially, at least as well. And most of them are going to come without Isaac Rankine as well. I think he's out for three to four weeks is the estimated I think duration is going to be out for with a hamstring injury. So that's going to really hurt too. And that's where it's going to leave so much, I think, pressure too for Luke Pedler, who was great in showdown 53 in round three of the three goals. And Lockie Murphy, who's more a pressure small forward and at times can impact the scoreboard. A lot's going to be left to them at ground level. And they don't have to worry about Tex Walker at all whatsoever because last time they played Port Adelaide, one by 31 points, I think he only had a solitary behind that night. So if he gets going again, he's already got, what, 54 goals this season. He kicks his big bag five or six. And we saw only two weeks ago, right, with Port Adelaide where the Blues got them. And I think if they sort of follow that same, I'd say, game plan in a way to if they at least isolate him with Trent McKenzie or perhaps even if the Adelaide coaching staff do it this way. So if they have him on a Leah Leah and take him away 
from the contested situations where he's just allowed to frame himself for the intercept marks, then that's where Adelaide are probably their best shot. Because again, when they're on, their slingshot attacking footy is hard to stop. But that's also the same with Port Adelaide too, Julian. So it's almost where you meet fire with fire. And I think that's where, depending on what the conditions are like in Adelaide, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be fine on Saturday night. There's just going to be a bunch of goals. And where that's combined between 28 or 30, then that's probably a bit too hard to tell because both teams love to hit the scoreboard and love to just attack and attack and attack. So, again, that's going to be one to really watch out for too. And Max Michelani as well. I thought to perhaps a matchup with Sam Pell Pepper, maybe one in the works, I think, too. And that would be a good test as well considering Pell Pepper's one of the, one of the biggest bodies as well for a guy who plays that defensive forward role too, which... Yeah, that's going to be an ultimate test for him too, which I think would be a good one. Rory Laird as well, coming back with that shoulder injury. And I think the Scott Lysette one was interesting as well, that Port have decided to manage him because mm. I had as well him going up against Raleigh O'Brien and those two just love to throw their weight around and just get in and get really physical around the stoppages and really both excellent ruckmen in supplying their teammates' first use of the ball. So again... I think Dante Vicentini's first game against Essendon a month ago was solid, even though he got absolutely beaten up. I think I think it was Andrew Phillips. Andrew Phillips was playing on, on that night because Sam Draper's still out with that hip injury. So, again, that's going to be a good test going up against, yeah, Riley O'Brien in the encounter. So, again, it's the whole, almost the whole mix in a way too with both teams in their attacking styles of football just going up against one another. But at the same time as well, just those impacts of Rosie and Butters as well. Just that, just that little bit more extra burst of speed away from the contest. I think that's where the whole advantage, I think, may well go with Port Adelaide too. And, of course, with Travis Boak being rested, but they can, of course, throw Dan Houston through midfield as well. Will and Drew, depending on who he tags as well, because, of course, we spoke about did a great job on Nick Dacos in the first half. So, again, whether he does go to Rory Laird, perhaps. We'll find out come the opening bounce. So, again, this I think, too, in a way, just with what Adelaide need to do as well the last five weeks is just they probably have to get off to better starts as well because they'll sort of caught on the back foot as well the last – well, especially last week against Melbourne and then at various stages against the Giants as well, especially in that last quarter. So, again, they just keep through head and toe and not allow Port Adelaide just to – get with the impact as well with Charlie Dixon and Todd Marshall and have them hit the scoreboard, then they're going to be right in the game. And that's what I truly believe too. Just because showdowns are like that, Julian. They're just they're too hard to separate no matter where the teams are on the ladder. And we've seen so many of them over the years where I think at various stages where a team's been in the top eight and another team's just slightly been, but it's always gone down to the final five minutes and you probably can't see it going any other way, especially what Port Adelaide wants to do to keep its top two spot in Adelaide just to keep themselves well and truly in the top eight race. A lot to play for for both sides. If you can find it in your heart to skip that game or flick through the channels and go over to the other game that on Saturday night, it's Essendon versus Sydney Swans at Marvel Stadium. The Bombers not too flash against the Western Bulldogs last week. They are playing at Marvel again, which might suit them. And the Sydney Swans, as we saw, uh, we spoke about earlier, they beat um, the Fremantle Dockers. Just uh, go through the sides quickly. Jai Menzies is back for Essendon. And out go Stringer and Ridley, both with injuries. Two big losses there. And then out for Sydney Swans is Ryan Clark. 
Callum Mills is playing his 150th game. Uh, Yuri, before you get into this one, just a couple of points I have. Was Lance Franklin looked pretty good last week, um, and he's, he's now talking about potentially playing on in 2024, which is quite fascinating. Just when you think he's done, he's saying that he's, he's teasing us, saying that he might play again. And for Essendon, I think Jordan Ridley is quite a big loss. Um, he's just his intercept marking ability and his composure down back is pivotal for them. Um, yeah, how do you think this one goes? I just think the last couple of weeks, Julian, and Essendon's overall contested game, I think we've done so well for most of the seasons, just falling apart the past fortnight as well by combined 58 to Geelong and the Western Bulldogs. And Sydney, of course, I think it's more about the spread, the run and spread. And when they get that whole mixture of attacking the corridor, because that's really their first option, right, Julian, is where they have the ball in the back pocket. And whether it's Dick Blakey or whether it's Ollie Florence who has it, they'll always seek to target the middle of the ground. And that's where it opens up the whole corridor, especially at Marvel Stadium where the dimensions from one end to the other are arguably the shortest out of all the different venues in the comp. I think that's where if Eston don't defend that, like they've been defending for, what, the last, for essentially, what, the first 15 rounds of the season when they still won the top, defensive sides, but that's sort of lapsed in drips and drabs in the last couple of weeks, especially at Geelong game a couple of weeks ago. They can't afford that to happen too. And you mentioned, of course, Jordan Ridley, that quad for the next six to eight weeks. That's major as well, just for the amount of in, for the amount of intercept marks that he takes as well. And not just that alone too, but also Jobby's, the job he does on opposition, if not opposition, the dangerous small forwards too. And he could have well had Tom Papley, I think, tomorrow on Saturday night, should I say as well. And I think I think that task will be left up to probably Andrew McGrath, I think, in a way too, to try and combat perhaps his influence. And because once he gets going and where, where that's through midfield, where Sydney love to throw him on ball at various stages or just impacting as the crummer, then they're hard, they're hard enough to stop as they are, Sydney too. And just we, we speak about the continuous run that Errol Gordon provides on the wing and Braden Campbell's the other one now who's basically – cemented that other wing spot too and his penetrating left foot kicks as well going forward. They just have such a galore of numerous outstanding field kickers, Julian, and that's where just I think Essendon just have to be on guard to not allow that to happen too. And I think up forward as well, maybe if Peter Wright gets on top, then that's where Essendon really has their best chance too because Lewis Mellican isn't back whatsoever. He's still got what a couple more weeks or so with a hamstring injury and trying to at least isolate Tom McCarthy. I'm pretty sure, was it Nick Blake? He's their second tall defender. I'm pretty sure back now too. So again, those are sort of the areas I think if Essendon can just get it in quickly, like they, they can, they can do that, but just not allow for Sydney to get all their players, majority, what 16, 17 players to zone back and then to clog up the field and make it hard for the Bombers because I think that's been the issue again the last couple of weeks, especially the Bulldogs clash in that second half. They just kept, repeatedly kept breaking down going inside 50 and it didn't help them whatsoever. And, of course, when when that happens as well, your key forwards such as Peter Wright are not going to have any influence whatsoever. So that's the real issue there. But I think we look at just the closeness of the two teams as well, Julian. And, of course, last year as well, Luke Parker and Dylan Shield and Shield, I'm pretty sure – is not playing as well tomorrow on Saturday's encounter as well. And as well with Eston ruining Luke Parker's 250th, the following meeting as well at the MCG last season. So there's a heap to play for. And you think of the other great games in 2012, 2011 at Docklands and 
just a whole bunch on 2001 if you want to really go back down the wormhole. So for whatever reason with the two teams, it just always seems to be close and I can't really sort of accurately put a finger as to why it's the case. Maybe it's just, yeah, it, it's against, it's really too much, too many question marks to put exactly why both teams just tend to thrive when it's super close as well. But also the other one too, I think as well, if Eston can at least get some heroic performance as well, and I think we talked about from about five years ago, Michael Hurley's efforts on Lance Franklin, if that's a Brandon Zerk Thatcher does that on him, then that'd be great viewing as well. But I think it's going to be super close. I think it's going to be Eston will try to probably look to make it tight, but Sydney don't want that whatsoever, Julian. And their whole attacking philosophy mantra, I think, may just get the bombers in the end. Two close games on Saturday night. We hope it pans out that way. Moving over to Sunday afternoon at Marble Stadium, 1.10pm. It's Hawthorne Hawks versus St Kilda Saints. I cannot believe the Saints are favourites here. I think it's going to even out in the odds because Hawthorne uh, looking pretty good at the moment and the Saints are not looking that great. And Hawthorne did beat us earlier in the year. These are extended interchange benches. So I won't read out all the teams. I'm just going to note the, the definites that we know is Bradley Hill and Dougal Howard are both out injured. And for the Hawks, Carl Amon is out as long with Ned Rees with a suspension. Some of the names that might feature are Ryan Burns, Liam Stocker, Tom Campbell. I'm not sure about Highmore and Cordy. And then for Hawks, Cam McKenzie, Fergus Green, Blank, Bramble, Meek, and Brandon Ryan are names that might feature as well. My note on this game, Yuri, is Finn McGuinness. Uh, I, I just, I love, <laughs> it's probably controversial to most people. I, I love taggers and, and seeing how they can quell someone's influence. Finn McGuinness keeping Josh Kelly to, what, six touches. Then I think he had um, Rioli. He kept to 20 disposals, but Rioli, you know, really didn't look too good. And he, he, I think he tagged Taron Thomas for a little bit as well and kept him to 12 t- touches. I remember a few years ago, McGuinness went to Jack Sinclair. Um, I just wonder whether he goes to him or Wangani Malira. I am pretty confident he goes to Jack Sinclair. Um, whether Sinclair plays in the middle or back, I'm sure he'll have McGuinness on his tail. Um, so for those of you who like betting and fantasy, be wary of that. Do not include Sinclair in your multis unless you go in the unders. <laughs> All right, Yuri, Hawthorne versus Saints. Am I the only one who thinks that Hawthorne are a shoe-in to win this game? Or are the Saints a Saints chance? Hey, Julian, I couldn't agree with you much more. I actually tipped Hawthorne to win yeah. this game. In all yeah. honesty, man, we almost we talked about last week, right, in the lead-up to the Saints-Kangaroos game, and mm. what, did we we placed our answers on how many goals combined would there be kicked that afternoon. I yep. think we both said 10, and they end up being <laughs> just trying to do the math out the top of my head now. I think it was about 18 <laughs> all up. It's still not much, but... No, it was a low-score game. Yeah, it seemed to say there was only yeah, 10 to 12 majors kicked that afternoon. I think... St. Kilda, somehow they just got to keep scrapping. That's the, really the only thing, right, in terms of their avenues moving forward. And I think we've seen last couple of weeks with Cooper Sharman having an impact, especially in that Suns game, kicking those three goals. So they've just got to somehow just keep alternating through. And I think the other sort of pot of gold, you could say, that they may have struck as well was putting Rowan Marshall up forward in the early stages of the final quarter just to – give another Ford Avenue target mm. because St. Kilda only had, what, four goals by the final change. And, of course, they needed, what, five, six goals to win the game, which ultimately they did. So I think look for that to happen as well. But the other part too, that St. Kilda, I think, <clears throat> have been their own worst enemy for has been just the bombing the ball inside 50 without really lowering their eyes. And, again, that all falls down James Sisley's throat as he did 
in the last meeting, right, with the 43 touches and the 16 marks and whatever the 165 Dream Team points all together. So they can't afford that to happen too. And I think the whole Hawthorne game plan, we saw last week they just completely tore the Tigers up for the best part of three quarters, right, and then just ran out of puff in the last quarter to the point where they just came to a standstill and had no – couldn't enthuse any more energy through their ball movement whatsoever to set up Mitch Lewis, who's been great this season since returning in round seven. And I think he's influenced once more. That's going to play a real crucial part. And just the whole other magnets, I think Hawthorne have got through that midfield as well. It just may provide them just that little bit more zip, I think, with St Kilda. And Julian, maybe do you agree with this in a way? Do you believe... St Kilda's midfield at the best of times is one-dimensional? We talked about lack of pace, and I think that's why we, we threw Sinclair in there. But no, I completely agree. It looks, yeah, compared to some of the midfields that we come across, and that's why I, I think looking at Hawthorne, having Day, obviously he moves back as well, but having Newcomb, Warpole, Day, Ward rotating through there, and we've only got sort of Crouch and Steel, really. I mean, Sinclair in there as well. But yeah, they do look super one-dimensional. Yeah, that's, that's all where my worry, I think, comes from a little bit in Sunday's encounter to Julian. And I think if Hawthorne are able to do as they did in three quarters and kick as many goals as they did, I think that's going to be hard enough for St Kilda because, again, we hit on the money last week about just the points per game for the last five weeks has been under 67, which is by far not enough because what now in today's era, at least for the last couple of seasons, teams have tried to just be that more daring and be that more attacking and be that more incentivizing with their ball movement in terms of improvising and just not playing to this sort of stagnated type football where coaches have such a massive emphasis on just throwing a whole block of 22 players back in one end of the field to just clog it up. That That's not happening now. So I think whether Ross Lyon, he does do that from time to time, right? If not most of the time anyway. So I think what we may see come Sunday as well at various stages, if St Kilda do find themselves four or five goals down early, then he's probably going to throw the whole magnet and look to stem the bleeding. But yet again, that is where I think my big pointer goes on St Kilda is just the whole scoring avenues going forward. And I think Hawthorne just has enough, I think, as well. And the whole backline too has really held its own as well. So unless somehow the Saints get a combined 10 goals from Jack Higgins and Dan Butler and they absolutely go off, then it's going to be yeah, a hard way to see. That's exactly what they'll need, honestly, to, to beat them. They'll have to put that scoreboard pressure on. And you're right, Higgins or Butler will have to literally combine for eight to ten goals for us to get over the line here. So, yeah, absolutely spot on with that. I, I Personally, I've been to every Saints game at Marvel this year and I just cannot see us getting past that back line. You know, you put it a Stephen May or Harris Andrews or a Sicily in front of us and we're just going to bang it straight to them. So I wonder if Lyon, you know, puts attention on whether a Windhager or something goes to him. But I, I, I don't know. I think, you know, knowing the Saints, they're just going to bang it in there as we do. And Sicily's going to tear us up. And they'll make us pay like North Melbourne didn't. I think North Melbourne had some chances that they were turning it over when they went forward a lot. And they probably could have, you know, punished us a bit more. I, I don't think Hawthorne are going to do that. Just looking at the game they played against Richmond, where they looked like they really had that game in the bag until they until they didn't, really. Um, I, I just think if they play that football, um, it would be superior to the Saints. But you never 
you never really know what the Saints say. Well, I will be tipping Hawthorne. Uh, sorry to cut you off for you. I'm just going to move no, on good. Um, to another cracker of a game, which is Richmond versus Melbourne at the MCG. Surely this gets a lot of people in attendance. 3.20 p.m. Um, and in for the Tigers comes Jaden Short, which is a big in, along with Noah Cumberland and Samson Ryan. Again, these are extended interchange benches, so we're not sure if all of them will feature. And for Melbourne, Brody Grundy is listed, <laughs> along with Charlie Spargo, Harrison Petty, James Hunt, and Michael Hibbard. And out goes Ben Brown and Tom Sparrow with an injury. Ben Brown was an omission, I must say. And Jaden Short is playing his 150th game. I'm sure he's in that side. All right, Richmond versus Melbourne. Who are you tipping for this one? I've got Melbourne, I think, by about three goals. I think, Julian, they've at least found another avenue in the last couple of weeks as well, which I think those question marks are probably still there in a way with who their key forward going into the final series will be. Now, Ben Brown's omission once more. So, again, almost the same conundrum that they had two years ago on routes that have draft breaking 57 year premiership flag so i think the other part too as well we spoke christian petrarca's impact as well up forward and even though i think only registered the two behinds he was he still had his usual impact as well and cosy pickett that was the other one to him rotating through to center bounces i think i attended i think it was about four or five center bounces during the crows game because i was watching that encounter last sunday afternoon and he his impact as well was that was major not just in the middle, but also up forward. And again, that was one of his best games in quite a fair while too. And I think the other part of it as well too for Richmond was the whole grit and there was the usual suspects that got them back in the game as well with Martin and Prestia and Taranto just all lifted when the game really needed. Because imagine if Richmond had lost right last Saturday. It would have been a little bit of a squeeze right to get into the the top eight, but with that win, they keep themselves well and truly in that top eight frame. So that's the big thing going forward. And Jaden Shaw, as you mentioned too, Julian, as well, his first game back since doing his hamstring against Brisbane in round 16 and playing game 150 and just the amount of drive he provides them off half back, but also getting forward too as well. And I think we saw that against Fremail back in round 13, kicked those couple of long-range bombs from outside 50. So that's another part too, Richmond's game that they want to use at all times. And I think the good part as well, Melbourne, I, th- I thought about this probably a couple, maybe even last week too, that they should have brought James Harms back into the side. So we'll see whether he's in their best 22 come tomorrow afternoon when those teams are finalised. So that's a that's a big in too because he's, he's sort of fallen on the fringes, unfortunately, at Melbourne this season. And Michael Hibbert as well, that I think lacerated kidney against Geelong in round 15. That's the other one. And with that whole shutdown role too that he plays as well and has been doing it for the last three to four seasons. So they've got, again, those areas covered too, Melbourne. I think, yeah, a lot does, of course, ride with Clayton Oliver and, of course, his absence and so much, of course, goes through him. But when you have the tons of midfield depth that Melbourne have too and they can just throw Brayshaw back into the middle, which they've been doing for the past month, it sort of does cover the loss anyway of Oliver, even though Clayton drives so much of what they want to do from the middle as well of his clearance work, his contested work and everything else and tackling too. But that is the whole major asset when you have that next second layer underneath that comes through and just does their role. And I think that's where it is Melbourne's strength anyway. And I think that round six encounter too, just before we move on, Julian, and Richmond did find that success probably, what, the first half at best. I think there was a lot of ground ball kicks, I'm pretty sure, that night, the Anzac Eve clash, and it worked to a T. And then, of course, 
once I think Melbourne figured it out, they just ultimately just, yeah, didn't serve Richmond whatsoever and allowed Melbourne to get on top and ultimately just run away with the game. But I think Richmond back then was, again, that was a completely different side. It's basically a shade to what early last season and basically this Richmond side where we are right down round 20 is, you could almost say identical to the side that was going on that surge towards the finals at this stage of last season. That's sort of how I look at it as well. And they are expecting a crowd, I think, between 60,000 and 65,000 as well. And, and they should because there's just so much on the line. So much on the line. We are almost running out of time, so we will um, fly past this one. But uh, we've talked about some crackers this week. Collingwood versus Carlton, Adelaide versus Port Adelaide. Richmond versus Melbourne, and now the biggest showdown of the week, West Coast versus Melbourne. I can't even say it without laughing. No, I, I, I show no disrespect to the teams. Obviously, they're having not the best years, but obviously we know some of the reasons why. West Coast versus North Melbourne at Optus Stadium, 4.40pm. It's actually another tricky game to tip, to be honest. I'll just go through the teams really quickly. Luke Shuey and Sam Petrescu-Seedon are out. Um, Petrescu Seaton with that suspension after that tackle. Liam Shields is out for North Melbourne. And then some of the names that might feature Jai Simkin, Elliot Yo, um, Luke Edwards, and Josh Rotham. There are some other names there, but um, again, not all of them will feature, so I'll just go over the key ones. Yuri, I think North Melbourne are favourites in this one. And, and to be honest, they played some decent footy against the Saints. I thought um, Luke Davis-Uniak was fantastic against us. Sheezer was good. They spread the ball well. Again, I said they had turnovers that probably cost them. But, you know, if they execute well, I think they should win this one. But given that it's at Optus Stadium and West Coast have shown signs there throughout the year against the Saints, against the Magpies, even against Richmond for a little bit, I think they might be a chance as well. So I really don't know who I'm tipping for this one. Can you convince me? Yeah, it's a 50-50 one, Julian, in all honesty. And just with the way both sides have been playing, obviously both have lost 16 games on the trot. And, of course, success has been extremely rife whatsoever. But... The one part as well, I think we saw, and you touched on perfectly too, North Melbourne in the St Kilda clashes. I think that was at least the first time since, what, round three, probably at best, or maybe in the late stages of that round four game against Carlton, ultimately, which they lost by 23 points, where they at least looked to attack the middle and attack it with every opportunity they could get. And, of course, those errors are going to come anyway, and it did come to ultimately cost them in the end. But those are the risks that you got to take anyway. And... I think that's one area where West Coast, oh, this is probably just blatantly obvious, but they haven't defended the middle part of the ground well whatsoever. And that's going to be, again, the detriment if they don't do that then and allow North Melbourne through Luke Davies Uniac, who had what, about 668 metres gained last week. And Taron Thomas, that was his best game in one of his handful of games since returning back to the North Melbourne team. And I think... Again, Hugh Greenwood's addition as well, just to give him that extra contested vigour. And Will Phillips in there too. And he's shown plenty of promising signs. I think, what's his now, third season, if I'm not mistaken as well? Third season at Arden Street. So I feel as though, again, I did pick North Melbourne. And just because I just feel as though at the best of times, we saw with what West Coast had to do with Oscar Allen last week. And they won't be doing that, that's for sure. Because... They got Ben Mackay down there. They don't want Mackay just, even though Mackay isn't the absolutely elite intercept marker to just keep swallowing up marks at will. Because who else do they go to up forward as well, apart from Darling, who's been, well, who knows? Some people may say, oh, well, he's in the twilight of his career or whatever. But again, those are the issues both sides have on either end, Julian, too. Because Nick Larkey's 
had another great season for North Melbourne, what, the 48 goals, even mm. with the amount of minimal supply that North been giving him. So I think they may just find those few more extra dimensions, I think, the Kangaroos. It, it won't be much whatsoever, but it will just be enough to get the job done. And again, you only have to look back to a couple of years ago that wet weather game here at Optus. Remember, I think the Kangas won by about 10 points that Monday night. I can't remember that game. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a wet night here in Perth. And I think there was still limited crowds at that point at that oh, stage, right. of course, during COVID and North won by 10 points. And I think that was, I'd say arguably that was their best win in Perth. I, I may sound outlandish for saying that, but <laughs> with the whole weather conditions as well and just I think with what they were going through at that stage, then that was just, yeah, instrumentally their best win in WA, especially against West Coast, where, of course, they had that great win here against Fremont early in the season. So look for that for inspiration. Trying to find that game in the archives. I can't find it. I'll look up that. Uh, I'll look that up later tonight. All right, that brings us to the end of AFL Round 20 preview. Cannot wait to see how some of those games play out. Yuri, that was fantastic analysis as always. And I think I might have to change a few of my tips after <laughs> hearing you dissect the games there. But a lot of these games, as you said, are 50-50. And as always, we say this, there is a lot on the line and that ladder is going to change. And we love to see that. Yuri, were there any shows or articles that you have coming out lately? We know you're quite active in the sport media world. Yeah, so I've got a couple actually published up this week to Julian. One I did on Tuesday with Carlton Collingwood and just one recently about an hour and a half ago I published with Essendon Sydney. Unfortunate image I did have was Jake Stringer, but Stringer's now mm. scratching, so I can't take that away. But, <laughs> oh, well, that's the way it goes sometimes. I didn't know that Stringer would be out of the game. So, yeah, that, that's a major one too. And I also had another one, I think, late last week as well, which I'm looking to do a few more of them as well, just a bit of a NBA trip down memory lane essentially too. And also Ooh. the NBA show as well. I think this... Saturday or Sunday, I think, got a message as well. You you got a message too on, mm. I think, depending on what day everyone's free to hop on and have a chat. So that's one to look out for too on the Mojo Sports Network. Fantastic. I'll just say I, I didn't go through a lot of fantasy or betting in that episode, but there, there are some things for people who are looking for little cheap legs to add to their multis. McRae 20 I talked about. I like Brent Daniels to GWS. I thought he he had 20 touches last week, and I noticed he played a similar role to Grant Myers. Like, he's listed as a forward, but he comes really deep now to get his possessions, and they like the ball in his hands. So if he has a bit of value for 15 disposals, I'll look at that as a bet, especially since um, the Bulldogs will be playing a fast-paced game. And Sam Flanders, I know it's tough. I, I never like betting against uh, Brisbane Lions, but given it's at home and Sam Flanders playing in that midfield now, if he's got a 15 disposal bet with good value, I'd add that to your multi as well. What are the other games we're looking at? Oh, the Hawthorne St. Kilda game. That'll be an absolute disposal galore game for Hawthorne. So look at all their defenders to rack up the ball there as well. All right. That is the end um, for us as well. Yeah, check out those NBA shows, the AFL show, the NRL show, and all the other fantastic shows on the Mojo Sports Network. You can tune in on Spotify or your podcast app. Thank you once again, Yuri, for joining us. And we hope your predictions come true. And we will see you next week on AFL Mojo Sports Network round preview. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Julian. Thank you for having me on. See you later.